The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hey guys, you may know me. Come on, of course you know me. You listen to my damn podcast, but guess what? I got another venture, Hardcore Cafe. That's right, owned and trademarked by myself. And I love it because you all know how much I love coffee. Well, that's right. Tommy Dreamer is taking caffeine to the extreme. Go to richportcoffee.com or you could go to houseofhardcore.net. You can find all the links on my social media to get the best coffee you've ever tasted. And that's my Tommy Dreamer guarantee. And if you don't like it, I will come to your house in Singapore. Can you till you do like it? So please go out there and try my latest business venture, Hardcore Cafe. Taking caffeine to the extreme. Fill her up. You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your host for the House of Hardcore podcast, Tommy Dreamer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the House of Hardcore podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Dreamer, and this week I got a special guest, someone I've known for a very, very long time, Taylor Wilde. How are you, my friend? Hi, wrestling dad. It's so nice to see you. You look amazing. I'm great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thought something happened to my internet there. I thought oh. it froze. Did I freeze? No, no, it skipped for me, too. Okay. <laughs> There's internet. Uh, the other day I was on a Zoom call. I spent my life on Zoom, which I'm not complaining because, uh, you know, it's an easier way to make a living. Sure. But uh, everything crashed. Zoom crashed. That's uh, that's not good for when the world uh, we have to communicate. Agreed. Yeah. So We're hopefully it doesn't you. happen. And if you ever notice, whenever we get frozen, it's the worst possible freeze. It's- <laughs> Everyone looks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into it. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I ask everybody this question. Uh, what got you hooked in the wonderful world of professional wrestling? So the the real truth, I guess it's two part, is um, there wasn't a lot of wrestling growing up in my house. My mom was like, no wrestling, no Jerry Springer, no married with children. All things I later loved. Um, she's a good mom for wrestling. And he always got the pay-per-views. He would like buy chairs from WWE, um, big pay-per-views, like the VIP seating. And uh, so that was when I was younger. And then, you know, in my formative teen years, it was actually my boyfriend who was really into uh, the Attitude Era, uh, really big into the whole Edge and Christian Hardy Boys feud when Trish Stratus was queen. And um that was my introduction really uh, to what wrestling was as like a pseudo adult. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to university for kinesiology. I was going to jump on that personal training era when everyone was making big bucks. Uh, that's not the case anymore. And uh, I had played competitive high level contact sports my whole life. 
and there's only a limited amount of sports in which women can make money. And they're usually the sports where women are scantily clad, although that is changing. And uh, yeah, it was like all the stars aligned. I'd met a local Ontario independent wrestler, found a really good reputable school and kind of that was the the starting point when I was 17. Uh, that's when you started training? That's when I started training, yeah. Wow, with who? So originally it was Ron Hutchinson who trained all the yep. big names, uh, but it was at the very tail end. He had like a right-hand guy doing his training. It was more his name. His school closed in six months, and then uh, I was over to Rob Fuego at Squared Circle, who's also very ingrained in all the Canadians who everyone might know. Yes. Um, total sidebar. Do you, yeah. have you ever talked to that ex-boyfriend that got you uh, involved <laughs> in it? Cause he's like, Oh my God, look what I could have been. You know what? Uh, I hadn't, but, um, you know, just, you get down the deep dive of everyone's social media when you shouldn't, you know, checking up on exes and kind of when I was at the peak of my TNA career, uh, I noticed he had just thrown up a photo of me when I was 17 <laughs> on his Facebook. And I was like, <laughs> gotcha. You son of a bitch. Totally. And he like, he was my first real, real yeah. boyfriend. I was like 16. He was my first and he cheated on me and like, totally broke my heart and like you know went through all that stuff and it was like a really good moment where i was like <laughs> that's <laughs> Look awesome what you could have had um who was your favorite growing up uh trish and jeff hardy and ray mysterio the top three right off the top of my head those are three great uh <laughs> Also, total sidebar, if you would have found out who your ex's favorite wrestler is and then took a picture with that person. Like, <laughs> that would have been really good, too. <laughs> how you get back, future generation of wrestlers, how you could get back at your ex's yeah. episode of the House of Hardcore podcast. It, I, I feel like it's a niche that needs to be fulfilled. <laughs> um, all right. So now at a very young age and also you said it earlier about dress and being scantily clad. You yeah. grew up in that generation, that era. Kudos to your mom to try to suppress all that stuff. And, and trust me, I get it all the time. We're like, I wasn't allowed to watch ECW. And, but like I snuck in and I watched it and it was so cool. Totally. Um, that attitude era was, was just for, there's a whole generation that just won't understand what they watched on television, but we grew up on it. We were hooked yeah. on it, but you also named that other, uh, that was television, man. Jerry Springer, all these like in your show faces that were just totally nuts. And wrestling, of course, is going to be that. Yeah. <clears throat> How at like 17, like, I mean, also, I don't know about Canada, but I know the states you're underage, you're traveling and you're having to wear because this is what we think is the norm going on. Like, how does, how was that for you at, at such a young, impressionable age? Yeah. I, 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 <sighs> So I think about this because I, when I, on my own podcast, Wild On, I talk to a lot of up and coming young ladies and, um, you know, I, I'm like, how are you staying so grounded? How are you not getting involved in all the, you know, the darkness that is yep. any entertainment business, be it drugs, partying, sex, whatever. Um, I think my mom, my mom and my dad, they separated when I was young, but they knew what they had with me. And it was like a hyperactive child who like always shot for the stars and I was never going to be 
normal. And they learned really early on with me, the more you tell me no, the more I'm going to do something. So they really just supported what I did. I always had an open line of communication with them. Like I, uh, if I was dabbling in any other extracurricular substances and I was never punished for it, it was always like, okay, you're safe, you're home. Um, so I always felt like I had this really open line of communication with my parents where I never had to hide anything. I was never right. told I couldn't do anything. And as a result, my wrestling was always really supported. It was just Great. like, yeah, it was like, you know, stay in school, please get an education. Uh, we're not going to stop you because you're going to go anyways. So it would be better if you just checked in. And like, you know, when I started, it was, there was no Skype, there was no FaceTime. I remember going to Mexico, not speaking a lick of Spanish and uh, getting a calling card that was like a receipt that had like 400 numbers on it to then stay, pay, go to a pay phone and like figure out this fucking algebraic equation to call home. And um, another thing was, I think starting so young, instead of going into like the darkness and again, and it's not darkness for everybody, but like the drugs partying rock and roll, I felt like I always kind of fit into this more kid sister role. And I don't know if it, cause if I wasn't like so overtly sexual, like, you know, I, I, I didn't have implants when I started and I wasn't the, biggest, loudest, blondest person in the room. I was just like this athlete who wanted to wrestle. And I felt like I was befriended by the guys rather than sexualized. And I think that really carried throughout my career, even into common day where like I'm a full-time professional firefighter and I've never had those kind of issues. And it's not because I'm ignorant to them, because don't get me wrong, I'm you know, growing up in this business, my street smarts are pretty switched on. Um, But I really just feel like... uh, I don't know if it was a respect thing or it was an ageist thing, but I really just kind of stayed in this kid sister sort of role where, uh, yeah. You said something important as well. For me, it was exactly that era. Like if you didn't do drugs, you were looked at like different. And I mean, even today people have offered me drugs. I like, I've never done cocaine. And like, really you're wearing ECW. And I was just like, (laughs) Yeah, no, never did it. But then it also, you know, I don't want to say it goes to your upbringing, but it's personal choice. Yeah. And I had I had Tony Atlas who told me like, hey, kid, I made a million dollars and I blew it all on drugs and alcohol and don't do that. Or like just just wasn't my gig. But then, like you said, it like viewed as an outsider. But if you stuck to who you really are and your own core values, it really did help you in any type of business. And the other thing you said, I just had this conversation with my daughters who were going to go to college Ah! and I, we were going for a walk, a nature walk. This was yesterday. And I said, Hey girls, I just, I need this for my own well-being. Can you just text me every night when you're not at the house and just be like, we're in and we're in safe. And my both daughters agreed. And they go, did you do that with your parents? And I said, you know, at one point I had to go to Japan for six weeks And I said, I called my parents once a week as a parent. I never realized how hard that was, but cell phones weren't available and you had to get this. And I explained exactly what you said. I had to get a calling card that I didn't understand, or like I had to get like a Japanese calling card and have someone dial this number so I could talk to my parents because long distance, if I called long distance, I think my father would have been madder at me than I did for calling uh, on a calling card. And, uh, and I said, 
I call grandma every day and I do, I call my mother every day. And then I'm also like, and if text messaging was around, I would text my mother or just tell my mother like, good night. I love her. I'm safe. And I was like, my rule was like when I was a young kid, you were out all day up until dark and then you made sure you were home. And then weirdly you could be two miles away, but if you heard your parents yell your name, you ran home. Yep. And then the other version, like if I told, cause I was bouncing at 18 years old, just like you, I was wrestling at 18 years old. If I told my parents I'll be home at two 30 cause the club ends at two. And like, by the time I leave and I knew if I was late, I would either call or, and I drove home and I saw my kitchen light on. I'm like, Oh, I know I'm in trouble. Cause it's four <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I would tell my dad, well, dad, there were some girls. And he's like, that's it. I don't want to know. Don't tell your mother. You know, <laughs> done. So, but it, it is, it's different times, but I mean, communicating and just telling me, eh, like I'm home is different. Yeah. Also, the other thing you made me laugh of where you're like, I was this hyperactive child. I've known you as this hyperactive adult. So uh, it's, it, I know what's changed, but it's pretty funny when you said that. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty true blue. Like I'm consistent. <laughs> I'm t- I'm to the point now where I'm like, I wonder if I should go get an adult diagnosis, but what, what would no, it matter? You are <laughs> awesome. And your energy is great. And I'm so happy that we got to reconnect um, because I always appreciated you and your energy. Um, so now you're doing these Canadian indies and uh, traveling all the world. And what do you feel is your first break or am I your first break? You were definitely my first break. Yeah. Um, you gave me my career a hundred percent. You were the catalyst because, um, before there was the changing of the guards and, um, John Laronitis had your position. Uh, I was not John Laronitis's cup of tea. <laughs> I'm right. never, I will never be because, um, I wasn't a diva at that time. I wasn't a model and, um, as I am to this day, I'm not a, okay, this is going to sound shady, but this is the God honest truth, especially during that era when they were bringing a lot of models in. I didn't come from that world. I came from an athletic background. I'm a tomboy. I'm not good at flirting. I'm not good at kissing ass. And um, yeah. So when you took that position, it was finally like, oh my God, someone who's like my, my kind of people is in that role. And, and yeah, you, you gave me my career really, if it wasn't for you, I would have never, I don't think ever left the Indies. Well, thank you for that. And you are another one of my many prized, uh, finds. (laughs) And I want to say it was through a VCR tape. Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Couple of, you know what I believe it was. Um, so Edge and Christian uh, were always kind of cycling through Squared Circle because they came up in the business with my trainer Rob Fuego, yep. and um, I think it was Jay. And he was like, you know, he had a conversation with Rob that you know I was probably at that time he would give his stamp of uh, approval. And I, I think he was the one that probably gave you the nudge because, you know, so many people apply with their VHS tapes and right. their eight by tens and they end up in the garbage. But I believe it was uh, Jay who, who kind of helped me out there. And I remember watching you and just like, you know, I always, I like people that your wrestling will always, no matter what, always uh, get me interested. And I remember like when I hired, 
when I first saw Lita or when I first saw jazz and I was like, man, these people are good, but they're different. And for mm -hmm. you, because specifically for that era, like I was told, like I had to look for models and I, or right. they were looking for women who like weren't really wanting to be wrestlers or wrestlers and then throw them into this mix. But then I was like, I have this girl who's an amazing wrestler. And like, I remember like, and like you said, you didn't have boobs, mm -hmm. um, you, you just, you were an amazing wrestler and I was happy. I was able to, we all need an assist in our life. Um, and same with a Beth Phoenix who, I mean, I remember I had to tell Beth, Hey man, they want you to streamline your physique yeah. because they feel like you're too big yeah. or like for you. And, and this is a real deal. Like yeah. your worst attribute was you were such a good wrestler. <laughs> Honestly, to, to this day, uh, I, I, I just saw Scott at a show. I'm sorry not to cut you off, but I just saw Scott uh, at a Toronto show. And he said, you know, you're, you're, he said just that verbatim, your biggest hindrance is your wrestling. And I'm like, but <laughs> it's so confusing. I, if I could use like another sports reference, you're <laughs> such a good pitcher. We can't use you. But like I could like win a Cy Young. I could win the World Series for you. Nah. We're going to find somebody else. But that's what this poor woman and to all these people listening had to go through to the point and kudos to Dean Malenko, because oh. then I was able to hire her. And, you know, this is another big move for you. Another you're moving from Canada to yeah. deep south uh, wrestling in McDonough, Georgia whole other culture shock how old were you when uh, i hired you well this is the biggest kick in the ass because at 19 you can legally drink in canada and i just turned 20 <laughs> oh i totally do remember this also getting a rental car you couldn't do all this <laughs> fucking america <laughs> yeah so dima you were so good and always excelling and like myself the wrestlers, you know, Bill DeMott, Jody Hamilton are always like, she's so good. Like she can outwork all these. And again, this era was the diva era. Yeah. And, and and same with jazz, man. If yeah. jazz came along today, jazz would probably be main eventing WrestleMania. And it, it's, it's wrong place, wrong time. But like jazz was talked down upon yeah. because of how good she was in the ring. Yeah. And, and same for you and Dean Malenko. And this, this, happened slash almost happened Dean Malenko came up with the idea of let's put a mask on you and make her wrestle as a male masked wrestler and then eventually and this was a, actually a great idea if we if this happened now I think WWE would be canceled <laughs> because they were hiring a female's identity Don't and the whole time you had to be like I'm a guy and then until whoever that person was unmasks you and it's like, oh my gosh, this is a female, yeah. like this great wrestler. And they're like, they were, you were spoken about, which is also kudos to you in the grain of a Ray Mysterio, a Jeff Hardy, like all this stuff. And I remember like you had done all these different gimmicks and then they're like, this was her biggest attribute. She's a female. And then it was Dean was like, well, then let's friggin' just put a mask on her and hide her identity <laughs> because she's so good. But like, think of that. It's absurd. But you know what? Thank you so much for validating that story because I lived it. Yeah. So people don't 
fucking believe me. Yeah. <laughs> God. And you know what? The the other element to that, because it was so abstract and outside the box and taboo for that time, they didn't want anyone in developmental to know about it either. So I was not allowed to train in the Sabu pants, the oversized kick pads, the double meshed eyes and mouth. And so the only time I got to train was when Jamie Noble and I had, I think, two or three dark matches before SmackDown. And it was abysmal because like I'm in this oversized shit. I didn't get to train in it. When you've wrestled your whole career with complete 360 vision and then you're in a double meshed eye and mouth like oh and the mask was too big and it was it was a nightmare but like what an experience like right. truthfully even even just having those dark matches was really a testament to like okay someone does believe in me but it just it didn't work out for you me. had a you had a lot of people believe in you. and when you just said that i totally had a flashback of you taking off that mask after your match and be like oh like, wow I love how my brain like gets triggered of these events. And that's why I love doing this podcast because it's not only just reconnecting with people. Then I was like, the things that I like that, like you said, like you're happy that I'm validating this because yeah, it was true. And it happened. There's video footage of it somewhere. somewhere. Please don't bring it up. <laughs> Please no one rehash it. <laughs> I'm, I'm still not over the trauma. <laughs> and also like during the time, you know, I just watched, I'm watching, you know, the DX documentary and, when China comes out and she grabs Terry Runnels, the one line that Jr. said that I was like, if that line was said today, he'd be done where it was just like, is that a man or a woman? <laughs> and like, she's right. But that at first, that was kind of like China's thing. Like, totally. you were like, there's no way this woman could be this big or so strong. And they played up to that. Kudos to like Sean and, and Hunter for going with that. And they didn't understand that ever and it was Shane who was like this is great and this is the heat right. um and for you it's like yes and and you said it the best it didn't work out but thankfully something else did and i i don't remember how or when uh and i'm sure you do that wwe let you go you know i i some people are really fantastic with dates i'm not okay uh, but it was pretty much like at that year mark and at that time in developmental if you had made it a year and you weren't doing anything then wow. they let you go so it, it and it was kind of, it was one of those quarters where there was a bunch of um releases and uh yeah it just you know it, it, it was funny because I, I had like a sit down meeting with Vince, like one on one. He loved the idea, like Dean supported it. You supported it. Um, Jamie Noble was fucking amazing. Like he like what a wrestler, what a human being uh, and no ego in it whatsoever. Like yeah. he didn't care. He was just like, you know, this is good for business. This is you know, it is what it is. Um, but there was ego involvement at the end and for whatever reason it just it it didn't come to fruition probably because <laughs> i was basically wrestling in like one of those t-rex blow-up costumes like <laughs> it might as well have been um but yeah it didn't work out and uh yeah and then it was on it was back to university for me i thought fuck it i'll go be normal i'll go back to school you this said another interesting thing about time, like Jamie Noble had no ego to lose to a woman. And now yeah. like that sounds so insane, but mm -hmm. 
but back then people would oh. think that's career suicide or like, and that was another hang up. Like, well, all these wrestlers that she beat in the past, it's going to hurt them. And like, really oh. like people forget about what happened last week. And it's this big thing. I mean, it's, it really was like an idea of women empowerment, which has now been like the whole thing for a long, long time, but just timing and timing is everything. And just, yeah. I don't think the business was ready for something like that. Yeah. And I knew it because I used to watch jazz wrestle men. It made total sense. They would beat people. She was my tag partner and it was just, everything made sense. And also like, oh yeah, by the way, this is not real. Right. <laughs> anything can happen, especially in the WWE universe, you yeah. know? Um, and the, and the, the, the sad thing was too, it was like, you know, Jamie and I were making the matches make sense yeah. based on the fact that I was going to be revealed as a woman. It's not like it was even keel baby to baby or heel face. It wasn't like wrestling one-on-one. We were making it make sense to build to something. But like you said, that era, those egos, where women were in the pecking order in wrestling in the world, yep. it just, I wasn't, I, you know, I so badly wanted to be that person to kick it over the other side but I can only do so much and I was really fucking young like I don't have any regrets but I wish I would have said something to the right people would it have made a difference probably not but um you know I was so Canadian so like yes sir no sir okay great thank you <laughs> apologizing <laughs> Thank you, for, thank you for thinking I wrestle so good, sir. Thank you. Uh, I apologize for not being a good wrestler. I mean, for being a really good wrestler. For not having bigger boobs at the time. <laughs> I apologize. Um, but yeah, you know what? And I just can't help but think there's no regrets. There's only like, my God, my early 20s were badass. Like, yeah. what a time I had. But, uh, you know, you can't fight the universe. And, you know, there's the it's the journey, man. Like, yeah. I am where I am now, because I went through that. And I'm in like, such a cool place with wrestling and women's wrestling is in such a good place. And like, I'm not 26 anymore. But 36 is really different than 26 was 10 years ago. So I don't feel like I've missed anything. If, if anything, I feel like I'm probably in a better place mentally and physically for the wrestling world than 20 year old. Yes, sir. No, sir. Was cause that, that doesn't really work in wrestling. Absolutely. And if this was the eighties, you'd be primed to hold the world title um, <laughs> in every organization. Cause 36 is, you know, your prime. It really is. Yeah. Um, all right. So you get let go. You're going to go to university and then opportunity knocks again for you. Yeah. So I, I went back to school. I was like, okay, well, kinesiology, kind of over it. Go back for psychology. I've re-enrolled, bought all my books, probably six months into my semester and TNA calls. <laughs> and um, specifically it, Scott Demore. Scott. Yeah, it was Scott. And I've known Scott since I was uh, 17. I, I was wrestling for his BCW promotion in Windsor, Ontario. Um 16 17 years old uh, probably like 17 no sorry yeah 17 18 years old excuse me and uh, I always had a really good working relationship with him and he just basically said like um you know we've hired all these women we've got a really good thing going on with TNA um we're trying to build up our women's division uh you know would you like to come for a tryout and I did and it went really well and I was hired on the spot but then there was a little bit of would you be interested in moving to the states and I was like no, 
I just moved my ass back home. I'm grounded with my family and my friends. Like I've had the same group of four girlfriends since I was six years old. And I really think like kind of digging my heels in, in that moment and staying home and staying with my family and friends has like kept me grounded, like for the trajectory of my career, like never kind of falling off my morals or anything like that so they were good they you know they said okay well fine we'll fly out of Toronto <laughs> cost them a little extra but you know we weren't plus, we weren't making millions so yeah. plus you got to get a visa and the visa and the internally also in, in WWE uh, Canadians had internal heat because we got to <laughs> pay you more money than regular uh, US people because you have to say why do these people you, you, what was it? I used to have to fill out so many forms. You have a unique talent, quality, yes. ability over hiring a foreigner than to coming into why wouldn't I just hire an American wrestler? And then we had to pay you guys more money than we had to pay an American. So, well, it was well worth it. In my <laughs> also, it wasn't my money. <laughs> You know what? I felt like I would get heat the odd time from like an American TSA agent, like not nowadays, but back then it was kind of like, well, why are you so special? <laughs> like, hello, is this not it? Whether you're driving an old classic or a real piece of junk, the car market is hot. And that's why I want to tell you about rockauto.com, the one-stop shop for all auto parts you need to keep your car on the road and in pristine condition. Rockauto.com has been in business for over 20 years. And they've had every part you need in stock at amazing prices. No reason to run around to different stores, websites, or auto shops. Rock Auto has what you need in stock. And guess what? RockAuto.com prices are always reliably low. That means they do not change prices based upon what's the going on in the market. This isn't like an airplane ticket, a hotel, or beef at the grocery store. Have you seen the price of beef lately? You won't need to constantly check to see what you need is available. And if now is the best time to buy, Rock Auto keeps it simple and has everything in stock at reliably low prices. So go to rockauto.com. They make it easy to maintain your car and save money. It feels good knowing your car is in top condition. Once more, rockauto.com for great prices on auto parts and tell them we sent you right here on the House of Hardcore podcast. There's a box when you check out to put it in our show name. And that's the House of Hardcore podcast. The prices are too good for promo codes. Now let's get back into the show. You debut in uh, TNA. I don't, I remember being super duper happy, but what was your first, did you have a, a first gimmick or you just came in? I was in the audience as a fan and uh, I, right. I was the little mighty mouse in the audience who decided to partake in awesome, awesome Kong's $20,000, challenge to take nice. on the beast. I totally do remember all this. And uh, it was mad heat backstage, but it was like, I mean that in the sense that, um, so I walk in and this Gail had just stepped down from being TNA super baby face because she was going back to WWE at the time. And between Gail and Scott, they decided that they were selecting me to fill Gail's kind of like the path she had started to blaze basically. And uh, so they, they knew that I was coming in as this fan and I was going to beat awesome Kong. I was going to be the first knockout to pin awesome Kong and win this $25,000 cha uh, challenge. And then in my second uh, 
second vision of the TNA world, basically like my second taping, I was then TNA knockout. And then there had been so many knockouts that had been there for years that had known me for, for years from the Indies, but you know how that works. Yeah. Like these are my girls. Sure. But like, they want what I want. And, um, Kia's awesome Kong is just like, she was so old school in her way. It wasn't like, Hey girl, let's have this great match. Let's put this shit together. She was, she basically like totally iced me out and ignored me a lot. And we would just talk about the match. And it was basically like sink or swim girl. If this match goes well, then we're homies. Otherwise get the fuck away from me because she was protecting the locker room that she had already built. And thank God I swam. (laughs) A lot of people don't understand that either or realize that because that was, again, that era where, number one, the competitiveness in wrestling and and the protectiveness. I don't want to say for your spot, but you said it for the locker room because it's like, who's this new girl coming in that's going to get the rocket pushed? If you really do think about it, it's wrong heat on the person because it's not like you picked that spot. Right. It's more heat on management, but the boys don't go after management that way. <laughs> no. So shoot, the, shoot, shoot the messenger, basically. Yeah, basically. I never <laughs> thought of it like that. Like, cool. Okay. Just happy to be here and I'll go eat shit over there. Okay. And it, it trust me, it's happened from, and it still happens. I see it all the yeah. time, but I mean, I remember uh, the Dudleys wanted to beat the crap out of Joel Gertner, who was their manager because he was making more money than them. Oh, and wow. I was like, go beat the crap out of Paul Heyman because he was the one who gave him that money. Yeah. And then they're like, well, we're, you know, we're bleeding every night. We're having these matches. Okay. Still go, go yeah. blame Paul Heyman. Don't pick on that poor kid because Hey, good for him to get it. Oh, well, that's it. Um, and that's kind of my mentality always. I, I never felt like jealous or, I never felt vindictive towards any other woman in the business because I thought this is good for business. Like let's elevate each other. We're already the minority. So let's like band together, but it took a long time to get to that place. And don't get me wrong. Women are always going to be women. We have hormones. Like there's always going to be catty. men, dear. (laughs) That's true. It's just different. It's, you know, testosterone versus estrogen. We, We deal with emotions. You guys are more polarized. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it, it all worked out, but wrestling, women's wrestling is in a good place now, but that has more to do with HR and the pendulum. You know, the pendulum was in a bad place before, but now I think it's swung too far the other way. We need to get back to like a middle ground, um, but it is still a really exciting time in women's wrestling, especially talent wise. For that period, do you have a favorite moment in your career there? Oh boy. Probably that that debut match where I beat. That's awesome. Yeah, because it that that was the moment that made my career, and it was the match was great, uh, but my promo was so cringy. It's like you know, my mic skills have always been uh, something to be desired, but that's you know also like my confidence, and I felt like I had been kicked down so much for just being who I was and I wasn't living authentically. Like I was still being, I was, I was living authentically being this athlete wrestler, but I wasn't me. I was always holding back who I was. And that's the difference between being 36, twice divorced and a mother and a firefighter. And now I'm like, you know what? 
you don't like me. I don't care. I'm just going to be me. <laughs> um, listen, and it's also like a learning experience as well as you also in an environment. I'm, I'm currently watching Brett Hart on Stone Cold's Broken Sessions. Mm-hmm. And Brett says like, WCW beat me down. Like I could not care about professional wrestling ever again. He yeah. goes, and something that I was born into, something that I loved. And because you know who told me that if I went to WCW, I would hate it wrestling. He goes, it was Kevin Nash and you, Steve. And Steve's like, I don't remember that. He goes, yeah. He goes, and then I remember when Goldust, after he left WWF, he went to WCW and he was just like, I just want to have great matches. And he goes, I just said to him, he was just like, it doesn't matter. And he goes, yeah. and this is coming from Bret Hart, you know, the, the guy who told these amazing stories, cared about everything, but it was like the atmosphere beat him down. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that happens. And that also then goes to mental health, all that stuff. Yes. Um, okay. So then you pretty much, and I can't believe how young you still are, by the way, <laughs> I mean, you look amazing, but like, thank you. I don't want to say like, if you really think about this, I'm your age when I'm hiring you. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm looking at you and I'm like, like, I mean, you don't, you don't look 36 years old, but I'm also like, how have I known her for so long? And like, oh my God, she was that old. Like when I hired her and like, yeah, that's crazy. it all yeah. just comes to fruition. But if you really do think about it, cause I'm like, I w- I'm seriously, I'm sitting in that office chair, looking at your VCR. I'm your age. That's and I'm crazy. looking, watching this and like, Hey, this girl has something, but it's just very, yeah. very cool. Isn't um, that like full cycle or like, yeah. like, like real synchronicity? I wish it was on this exact date. So I know. <laughs> Let's pretend it is. We'll go with that. Um, so you you leave TNA. Yep. And you kind of, you leave the business? Yeah. I, so I had this plan. This like unwritten plan in my head. I said, if I'm not rolling in it or my career isn't in a place where I have full security. And this is, TNA was, this was at a time that salaries were not an option. Like right. no one had salaries. You got paid when you were booked. And what people don't understand is you're not booked unless you're written in the storyline. And unless you're, you know, in the writer's face or you are a creative yourself or anyone gives a shit about what you say, you just dwindle and then you're not. It's also a big reason fighting for the top spot. Yes, exactly. Yep. Um, so I said to myself by 25, if I'm not in a position where I'm secure, um, and I'm just like happy and loving it, then I'm going to retire and not like I'm going to retire for six months. I'm going to retire. And I granted, I, I was, I was pretty burnt out by the time yeah. I was 25 because I was really fortunate. I started training basically at 17 and under two years I was hired by WWE. So I had been hitting it hard since I was, you know, 17 and 25. Like that's, you know, that's a good stretch. Um, and I feel really blessed and fortunate for having that stretch. Um, and it, it was really controversial to leave at 25. As um, well as, I don't mean to cut you off, but no, I need to state this. Like when you say doing it hard, when you're in the developmental system, you number one are being judged every day. Number two, you're in the ring for hours. You also then have to go to the gym. You also have to, you know, perform on their shows, but it is like hitting it hard. You're, you're devoted. Your entire life is about professional wrestling as well as it's, you're doing this every day. Like, and not, I don't want to say it takes its toll on your body, but like how you said, yeah, man, 25 is, 
I always say like ECW like aged you in dog years. So like yeah. I was there eight years. So that's an equivalent of like forever, eight times seven, 56. And it's just like, I went in there as a, when I went into ECW, I was in my twenties. I left there. I'm still in my twenties. And like, I was 29 when that company went out of business and I'm this seasoned vet because wow. of all the things that you've seen and done and God knows how many bumps you take. But if you're in developmental, you're taking possibly a hundred bumps a day. Yeah. It developmental took a real toll on me mentally and physically, right. especially during that time. Cause you're being evaluated every second of your life. You're being judged. Yeah. And, and during that era, you couldn't get away with it now, or they style it a little bit different right. or frame it different, but like we were weighing in every week. And if you gained weight, you had to explain why I'm like, I don't know. I ate a fucking burrito. Like, <laughs> back off but you know like and you're already not mentally healthy with diet because back then it wasn't like now women's fitness is in this like fit is the new skinny like it is sexy to be muscular back then I was fighting against my natural body I was just trying to get smaller and skinnier and like I am little and heavy and muscular like I am a Polish like stump puller like I am like (laughs) Like my body was meant to do what I do, um, but I was fighting against it. And right. um, so I was, oh God, I've, I've probably gotten completely away from the point, but it, it was aside from the mental anguish that you endured in developmental, the physical anguish, being on the road since I was 17, eight, 18 years old, I was like a complete nomad. I stayed home around my family and in Toronto, but I wasn't making any meaningful connections in terms of what all us heterosexual beings need. (laughs) And, you know, I I was dating within the wrestling world, which was really fucking faux pas for that time, which is ridiculous. Because if you dated a woman's wrestler, you good. If I dated a male wrestler, we all know what that meant. Mm. Um, And now we're in a place where it's very normal. Like, you only know that world. It's all encompassing. It's like when surgeons date each other, <clears throat> it takes over your whole life and you have to have this understanding of what your schedule is, what your life is. So I was just burnt out on, like, I couldn't, I couldn't have been more burnt out. And my contract was like near an end. And I also felt that I reached this point in my career where wrestling was, there was literally nothing else for me to do. I had done all the things that I could do. And, um, I think I was also like, I had a really good three-year run, four-year run with me and Kia doing this like female version of um, Goliath and, um, you know, thank you, (laughs) shift work brain. And uh, yeah, it was just, I, that was it. I was done. I left and I got a lot of flack for it. It's all right. Um, Toll sidebar, you know, when I'm, I'm glad you got to realize that at 25, you know, when I got to realize, uh, that I have never been home, the yeah. pandemic. No. And I had been on the road since I was 20. Jesus. And I want to say what, that's two years ago. So 28 years. Wow. And I also always, and I've been on the road nonstop since I'm 20. And I always thought like, like, and you said it before and like, you're, you're saying things and I'm like, whoa, maybe this is why we're so tight. But like, it's, <laughs> it's, um, I never realized I could be normal. Yes. And it's, it's a weird thing when you look at yourself and you're like, wait, I, I like 
I am a homebody when I'm off the road. Yeah. But then it's like, no, wait, I could do this. Like I could like even maybe get a real job like yeah. one day, just like instead of like, I, I don't know, it's just something that, and I, I, during the pandemic, like that's when I realized all this, like I grew up at 48 when I'm and you're growing up now at 28. So <laughs> it's, it's kudos to you to realize that and to stick to your plan. And then you, you move away again. Yeah. What, oh yeah. So I like, <laughs> cause this is when I like kind of re first connect with you via social media. Yeah. So I, I retired from wrestling. I, uh, went back to school, but I gave up on my psych degree because it was useless. Um, I wasn't going to work in a lab. I didn't actually want to be a physician. And, uh, I decide that I still have an adrenaline junkie, but I might, one of my favorite things I did in WWE was uh, do Make-A-Wish and uh, work with the vulnerable communities. So I thought, okay, emergency services would be a really good fit for me. Cop, paramedic, or firefighter. I went to a bunch of information nights, realized, okay, um, and this is no shade, but paramedics are more nerdy. They, they're like really, they're academics, um, cops. I don't love the law. Let's just leave it there. And then firefighters, firefighters are always the good guys. You're the one running into burning buildings when everyone's running out. And I thought that means their brain don't, their brains are not functioning on like all levels. So I was like, you know, those are, those are my people. And <laughs> I also, you never know what you're going to do in a day as a firefighter. So I went and I did the schooling. And then when I finished, there was like an emergency services lockout and they weren't hiring anybody for about a year. So I had met uh, a guy on the like last leg of my TNA career. He lived in England and um, we got pretty serious, but we were going between countries every month, every two months to sustain this relationship. And then when I retired from wrestling, I got married and then I moved to England for a year. And, uh, it didn't work out the marriage nor living in England, <laughs> but we were young and dumb. And I threw myself into it thinking I want normality. This guy is really different than me. He worked in the music industry. And so he had an understanding of life on the road and right. whatever. It was a good fit. Knew nothing about wrestling or very limited. And, um, Plus they drive on the wrong side of the road. Yeah. They have beans for breakfast. What is this? I got to get out of here. The sun never comes out. It's fucking brutal. <laughs> Talk about seasonal depression. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so then I came home. Uh, you know, we're, we, if I saw him tomorrow, I'd be so happy to see him. He's a great guy. We we're great friends. We were just young and stupid and threw ourselves into something that we had no business doing. Uh, really cheap, easy divorce as well. And uh and then I took me four years to get hired, but then I became a Toronto firefighter full-time. And that's what I've done for eight years. Within that time, I decided to get married again, um, selected wrong again for numerous different reasons, had a beautiful, amazing baby boy, which is the, by far the coolest thing I've ever done. Um, the divorce was really horrible i'm still going through it however it is the best worst thing to ever happen to me because it is the first time like a lot of us break right and you can hit rock bottom 
and I've hit rock bottom probably or pretty close to it a few times for numerous reasons, career, love, whatever. But this time I really hit rock bottom and it was the first time that I was really able to say, okay, you know what? It's really easy to blame everybody else for your shortcomings as a person. It's really easy to be like, well, he was a narcissist and this is why it happened or he cheated on me. But here I am at the time, 35, COVID. What, what is the piece in me that I keep attracting and letting these people into my life? What is it within myself that I haven't healed? So it's, it was the first time that I really stopped throwing myself into relationships to find happiness, to do the inner really scary, really dark work with myself and heal and um, really figure out what fucking childhood bullshit and all that psychological stuff that we all talk about. What is it? And um, it was scary and it was really hard and I'm so fucking glad I did it. And I'm so glad I hit rock bottom because I have boundaries now. I have self-worth. I'm happy, like truly happy. And I get to be a better parent and a better woman and a better mother and a mentor and someone that I know my son can look up to because I know what a healthy relationship is now. And I'm glad I did it while my son was young because he'll only ever know what this is. But more so, I've got the rest of my life ahead of me. Like, sure, it took me until I was 36. But um, yeah, it's been a really, you know, COVID really kicked a lot of people in the teeth for different reasons. But I'm really thankful COVID happened because it made me do the work on myself that I was never able to do before. Man, you and I are going to have a separate text message change on (laughs) all this because this is such a deep dive. No, seriously, you have no clue. Um, (laughs) But if you really think about it, too. It's a 10 year period uh, between where you have these different revelations about your life. And if you could go back to this in 10 years, because you're going to be a much different person as well. But the fact that you're happy, healthy, uh, you're glowing. I look at you as soon as I see you, I've been smiling pretty much this entire (laughs) podcast, as well as like, and I talked about this and and it's your energy. You have a light about, about you and you always have. And I always saw it. That's why I always believed in you. But you need that. And any person listening to this, they need that. So I'm happy that you're able to find that. And I always say, and and because I have people who hate their spouse, like, and I'd be like, don't you have a beautiful child? And you already described him as beautiful. And like, so no matter what hatred, no matter how bad it was, something good came out of that. So reflect about that and also project that because that's what's most important. So that is super duper cool. Lastly, your, your comeback, yeah, which is awesome. And for those, you are still under contract and, and you did, you have, I mean, think about too, if you, you have two people who are right place, right time, myself and Scott Demore, who do a lot behind the scenes. I mean, Scott is impact wrestling yeah. Two of the people who believed in you the most are kind of helping with this company. And you had to take your own time to settle everything. And it's like, now it's right place, right time. And it's all about the journey. And for you, it's also about the comeback. And, uh, you know, it's funny. You also mentioned that, that, um, show you just saw Scott at because from that show, I talked to him and he was like, yes, you know, seen Chantel, but we have to get her back on the field. 
And I was like, yes, we do. And then, it, <laughs> but it's always like, okay, well, we can't just rush people in because sure. you know this. All right. Well, we have these people coming in a lot of stuff, but it was like, God, she's so frigging good. Like still. And like, but we're not talking to you like you're a 55 grizzled old, you know, Tommy dreamer, uh, even though I'm 51. But uh, what I'm saying is it's man, she like, we can't wait to get you back on the field. So uh, I hope that happens super duper uh, soon for you because you're the best version of yourself. And every other day, it should be the best version of yourself. Aww, thank you. And I'm really, I'm so excited. Like, it's been a year and, you know, it was hard because I had this like big comeback after 10 years of being inactive and then COVID and divorce and life. And thank God for my impact wrestling family. Like truthfully, uh, you know, if I, if I didn't have the history with the business and I didn't have the relationships I have with you and Scott, there probably would have never been a part two. Um, but again, everything happens for a reason. And mm -hmm. this, you know, disconnect between times is, you know, surely really confusing for the fans, but it's nowhere near confusing for the fans as it has been for fucking over here. And yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's another thing like fan. I mean, everyone in our current state, everyone's talking about AEW and all the turmoil, all that stuff. No one's talking about the wrestling. Right. And there's a lot of great wrestling going on for people don't like, and I saw it like all oh, speculation, where the hell you've been all the stuff, even though you have your own podcast, all that stuff. And I know you're very, very open but it's also like, okay, well, this person's real life is being affected and maybe wrestling isn't the, the greatest thing right now. Yeah. And, but your connections with people and the fact that you said, Hey, you have your same six friends that you grew up with that has kept you grounded. You have the same person who gave you your first break and the same person who gave you your second break and they have influence and they're like, well, she's still there and she's still friggin' awesome. And you have that and every person listening to this, if you're an independent wrestler, you need that support system. And it's the the people you meet in life along the way that are gonna I will be in your corner forever. And unless you turned on me, I will be in your corner forever. And I know Scott will be that too. Scott's the most loyalist person I've ever friggin' seen towards anybody. 100%. And I'm pretty damn loyal, but he's <laughs> he's very, very loyal. Agreed. So I'm just, I'm happy that I've got to reconnect with you, especially on this, on this show, but mm -hmm. it's also like that you're in the best place. And then I can't wait for your light to shine again uh, for the world to see, because you are a light. Thanks, Tommy. You're I welcome. love you. I love you too. How do fans get to love you as well? What are your socials? What are you doing besides rushing in, saving people's life, <laughs> putting out fires, being a mom? What else you do? Um, so on Twitter and Instagram, it's real Taylor wild. You can listen to my podcast. We drop a new episode every Wednesday because we get wild on Wednesdays. It's on YouTube and it's on any major podcast platform. So wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts, I do have a TikTok. Just Google it. It's, it's not real Taylor wild. Someone stole it. It's Taylor wild. There's only one account out there. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Well, that's, I can't wait for part two plus or two asterisk comeback and uh, i can't wait to see you again i know it's going to be soon and thank you for listening i love you too and uh thank you everyone for listening to the house of hardcore podcast with the greatest Taylor Wilde.